back to Lady Parts, a feminist podcast looking at ex- explorations of women in genre cinema, both in front of and behind the camera. My name is Sophie. And I'm Amy. And today we're going to be talking about all the latest news, uh, as well as a long read about women in horror um, ahead of reviewing us next week. Um, but before that, Amy, what are you watching? I have been watching something timely. What? Shocking. Um, I devoured the Umbrella Academy. Yes. Yes. Um, And it's really, I really, really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. Um, But (laughs) (laughs) it's one of those series that I get really frustrated with because I'm like, if you just talked to each other... (laughs) This would all not, none of this would happen. (laughs) Communication? Shocking, shocking. In a Um, science fiction series. Right, I know, it's terrible. Um, So The Umbrella Academy is based on a graphic novel series. um, and Written by my chemical romance frontman, Jared Way. Which is so weird to my brain. But it makes actual, it kind of makes sense. It's very much um, that aesthetic. Um, And it's quite... I have to say the artwork is stunning. Every single frame is just, there's a lot going on and it's just really beautiful to look at. Also, it has Robert Sheeran in it, so it's very beautiful to look at. Um, And and David Castaneda. Uh, Anyway, um, that's neither here nor there. Um, It stars Ellen Page, Tom Hopper, as I said, Robert Sheeran, David Castaneda, um, Emmy Raver, uh, Lampman, and Aiden Gallagher and Mary J. Blige as well. And it's it's very colourful. It's kind of in an alternate modern or contemporary world. Um, so there's no there's like super hyper technology, but there's no cell phones or mobiles. <laughs> um, there's no uh, smartphones, there's no um, there's no 4G mm. internet. Um, but you can live successfully on the moon like (laughs) so it's this really interesting use of technology and i think um it's kind of that that part of it seems very watchman-esque oh definitely it's very watchman-esque and it's it's kind of um, a necessary evil i think with this kind of science fiction because if you had smartphones i feel like you would you would again that communication thing would be much less of an issue yeah um but in saying that you know it's got time travel and it's got portals and it's got um you know superhuman children and supernatural children so it's such an interesting mash of kind of science fiction elements fantasy elements technology because the technology you know they've got a talking uh, monkey so <laughs> and they use um, DNA um, sequencing and all this kind of stuff and uh, it's it's such an interesting series and it's got so many really cool elements and the world building is so good one of the biggest problems that we've articulated particularly in this um, podcast is that need for writers and directors to put in everything mm-hmm. you know we talked about it with a leader and we talked about it with valerian where they just want to show you the world that they've created yeah. in one fell swoop umbrella academy doesn't explain anything <laughs> and it's kind, it's really refreshing because it assumes mm. that you're going to work it out for yourself one or that you don't need to know right now too so it's this nice um it trusts the audience to kind of get it 
yeah, to cool. just um, to to go along with the ride, which is actually a really nice change for this t- uh, genre. Um, I will say there are a few character f- floppinesses, which I'm a bit iffy about, um, and there's a few plot points that um, are given a little bit too much weight or too little weight, um, and it's actually quite light on the ground in terms of female um, agency. Mm-hmm. Um, it pays a lot of attention to the male characters over the female characters' stories, mm. um, which is disappointing. And But in saying that, the one of the core relationships and the most vital and driving relationship is between the two sisters, um, Vanya and Alison, and that's kind of the central... Um, it's cr- it's critical going into season two. Their relationship is going to effectively save the day, which is quite refreshing because the yeah, boys cool. are jerks. They're all stunted adults. They've had such a shitty childhood. And so they're te- all terrible to each other, which is, again, really nice character. It's very Watchmen-esque. It's, mm. But it's also got that very um, heavy family dynamic. I'm really excited to go into season two because it's, it's laid the groundwork for so many great questions mm. that hopefully um, we'll see a really good payoff on it and one thing i do want to note on netflix and i think you'll have some interesting thoughts on this when you talk about what you've been watching um is the use of music Mm. um netflix increasingly and we're seeing it with stranger things seeing it with um, umbrella academy but we're also seeing it with just other shows generally is this putting like even bloody atomic blonde and um john wick putting pop and rock songs over extreme violence <laughs> Which it's is, certainly become very trendy right yeah yeah it's very much a, a trope now for action sequences mm. is to have these having a, a big juxtaposition between the 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 music and the action mm. like it's very very interesting but they use it in a cool way as well to show um to kind of unite the the siblings through through their love of music as well so it's 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 such a neat i can't believe i just said neat but um it is such a neat narrative and a neat world and um but it is a hell of a lot of fun and it's so it's so good it's definitely up in my top watches for the year awesome yeah it's been on my list to watch it looks really fun it's funny as hell yeah like and it's just it's smart it's it's actually quite clever but not and not in the way where it's trying to outwit the audience It's actually just kind of assuming that you're going to get it. Yeah. And you're going to, you're along for the ride, which is really nice. That's very refreshing. Yeah, right? Yeah. So what have you been watching? Sophie, I know the answer to this already, but sure. (laughs) Uh, I've been finishing off, um, last week, um, we had the season series finale of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Weep. Uh, yes. Which I've been kind of, I've been watching really since the start. Um, so I was really sad to see it go. Um, but it went out, I think, on a solid night. Mm -hmm. They've always... Rachel Bloom and Elaine Broche as the showrunners have always been very clear about the story that they want to tell. Yep. So it wasn't a surprising ending. Um, but it was a satisfying one, I think. That's good. It was it hit the right note. Um you know it's the second yes. word play. I know. But on disc. But it did it kind of you know, ultimately this is a story about mental health, mm. uh, which has been packaged in a romance musical fantasy yeah um and it's been i think incredibly cleverly done um and it's really had a incredibly clever i think way of talking about 
about topics that have previously been taboo mm-hmm. and I mean everything from um, from borderline personality disorder and obsessive behavior around romance to hilarious interludes about period sex yep so it's just been and STIs I think, yeah and I yeast think, infection I think yeah it has, or yeah. UTIs UTIs sorry yes UTIs. Uh, <laughs> and I think it's done a really good job of actually unlocking a lot of conversations about that on TV I mean you know it's I think it has one of the best depictions of abortion I've ever seen on a TV show mm-hmm. where it was a middle aged woman who's already got two kids who had it and it wasn't a big thing and the reality was that she was wanting to go back to uni yep and she could not do that if she was pregnant again yeah um and the way that they handled that topic was incredibly empathetic but also didn't make a huge deal about it you know it's like these are just these are actually the women that are getting abortions it's not just in fact the women who are you know teenage teenagers and not knowing any better are in the minority on that one and so over the four seasons of the show i think it really did tackle um very very female focused topics in a way that was really really interesting the and i think it looked at romance in a way that was really really interesting and compelling um like i said the season the fourth season i think wasn't um it didn't have i didn't love it as much as i loved the first two seasons which i think are essential watching for for many people but i had a few standout episodes and the ending ended you know on rebecca realizing that she needed to focus on herself yeah um and that's an and a love story and learning to love herself as opposed to having any relationship at the end of the series being defined by exactly um and knowing that she wasn't ready to be in a relationship because she needed to learn how she could how could anyone else how could she be in a healthy relationship if she loathed herself to that degree that she did and if she wasn't looking after herself and if her mental health was she needed to focus on herself and find her own passion and and fall in love with music which she was already in love with throughout the series but realizing that she actually wanted to make that a a career as opposed to just being um a fantasy so there was a lot of really really satisfying things and her relationships with all with the three other female leads in the show ends on a really high positive note Mm -hmm. and it just feels like it's a very very satisfying ending in that sense like i said it wasn't a surprise because i feel like elaine and and rachel have both been very clear about that being the ending from the start yeah um but it was i think uh um a solid note for it to go out on and i think that it's going to be looked back on as a really really influential series um particularly in romance and particularly in musicals and particularly in depictions of mental health on tv in the years to come Mm. it's so good to see a series to focus on telling a limited story Mm. across multiple seasons like people often look at miniseries and go okay well it's just one season it's done but this is used a five season arc to tell a four season four season arc to tell a really powerful story and not kind of get sucked into that idea that they're going to go for 10, 15 seasons. And it couldn't have. This story never could have. Otherwise you would have... To be honest, it was already losing steam in season four. I think they probably could have ended it with... In the third, at the end of the third season, right. Um, however, I think that this last season, though, there was a couple of episodes where it felt like we were spinning wheels a bit. But on the whole, like I was so, like I said, I think the series is so important as a whole, and the stories that it's told have been so important. I'm pretty forgiving of it, yeah. really. And having another few episodes to spend with these characters, who you obviously are very affectionate towards, yeah. Um, you don't really, you don't mind. You spending don't time. mind. Yeah. 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 
That's brilliant. Yeah, it was good. It was, I was really pleased. Oh, great. Um, sad to see it go, but happy to have spent the time with it. No. <laughs> and now, the, the news. news. Alright, our first news item for today. Juliana Morgley's turned down a good fight role after CBS offered to pay her guest star salary instead of her good wife series salary. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm in two minds over this, right? Because obviously Good Fight is a spin-off of Good Wife. So there would be no Good Fight series if it wasn't for Good Wife. Yep. Good Wife. Um, so in that sense, I guess it kind of does make sense for her to be receiving her full salary. But that said, it's also not, she's obviously not the lead on Good Fight. Um, she is guest starring. She's not the star. Yeah. Um, it's like, you'd hope that they'd find a happy medium. Yeah. Ultimately. Because I think that she probably does deserve more than guest star salary, but I don't think, like I said, she's not a lead in the series. Mm. Um, and you also don't want her to... Even though the Good Fight's been a spin-off of the Good Wife, it's you know it's really coming to its own. It's really its own thing. Yeah, it's only got one shared character with the original series. Uh, two. So two, sorry. Yeah, two shared characters with the original series. So it's kind of it, it really is its own thing. Yeah. Um. But then again, on the other hand, you yeah, know, she is reprising this iconic role, and um, she's won so, two Emmys for it. Like yeah. it's not like this role isn't significant. Yeah. In its in that universe no exactly and yeah. that's why you'd hope that they would have been able to negotiate a happy medium yeah um but you know obviously that's not happen no yeah what are your thoughts i'm, I'm the same i i really I'm, I'm kind of flip-flopping between the two but i kind of come down on her side quite heavily particularly after the discussion about gray's anatomy mm. with um ellen pompeo pompeo um you know, she she turned around and said, you know, this is what I'm worth to mm. you. This is what I bring to the table. That's so true. this is how much you're going to pay me. Um, and I feel like that, that converse, we're still in the middle of that conversation about equal pay. We're still mm. in that, um, you know, is this reflective of what you would have offered a, a male character yeah. in her position? So, um, you know, I, I wonder if the producers of Good Fight can turn around and honestly say, yes, we would have paid yeah a male of your stature the same i i wonder that i don't think they could have justified like paying a two-time emmy award-winning yeah actor um who won emmys for that role to guest star with that role mm-hmm. on their series in that universe really yeah. whether it should have been the same at the end of good wife i think she was getting quite a substantial per episode rate so yeah you know, definitely somewhere in the middle, but for them not to negotiate is... I think it says more about the producers than it probably says about her. Yeah. 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 I don't know. But then I keep flip-flopping going, oh, maybe she's being unreasonable. But then I'm like, well, am I only thinking that because she's a she? Yeah. Well, and it's hard to tell as well because we obviously don't have the whole story. Yeah. Um, so coming out of that. Um, but it's. But what I think is important, though, is that it's you've got a female star, though, despite anything else talking about money publicly which Definitely. i think is a really important conversation to be having because so many women i think are shamed out of talking about money yeah and um she obviously doesn't care what this makes her look like which i think is kind of badass yeah um but and you know and she should be able to be frank about 
to, to frankly have these conversations yeah. and publicly because it's going to make it more acceptable for other women to talk about money. Definitely. And what they're worth. Yeah, I agree. Mm. 100%. Yeah. Oh, well, good luck. Fight the good fight, Juliana. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bad pun. Shut up. Uh, moving right along <laughs> to our second news item tonight. Uh, the trailer for the live-action, gritty uh, Dora the Explorer adaptation has dropped. Uh, it is a Nickelodeon movie. It was filmed here on the, in Queensland, so uh, yay. Um, thoughts, <laughs> comments, feelings? Dora and the Lost City of Gold. I don't know if it's been gritty. I don't know if gritty well, is an it as gritty. Are they? Well, all, a lot of the synopses have said that. Well, I suppose there's a kidnapping plotline. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I look. It's big, dumb fun. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, I'm not the demographic, so <laughs> I don't have specific feelings about it either way. And I miss the Dora boat. Like I, w- I, Dora came out long after I was a child. Yeah. Well, this so is... I don't like. I look at that and I go, Yeah, I, my cousins will love that. You know, um, I know kids that are going to eat that with a spoon. I'm very <laughs> confused by it. I just don't... Mm-hmm. Look, I didn't grow up with Dora either, but my brother did. My brother was an avid Dora watcher as a youth. And my brother also turns 21 in a few weeks' time. So it's kind of like, he's not the demographic. No. No. Um, it's... And because Dora actually didn't wasn't on air as long as everyone thinks it was. No. It was only about six years. And I think he was probably at the earlier end of the Dora experience. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you're really looking at young adults who are the, who are the core people who grew up with Dora the Explorer. Yep. Um, this is not aimed at young adults. No, it's not. No, this is aimed at... Tweens. Tweens. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So that confuses me. <laughs> um, I just don't really understand. And, and, and not even just that, but it doesn't. Like, the trailer is borderline incoherent. <laughs> and, like, That's a bit of a speech. <laughs> but it's so far removed from the original property. It's like, why is this even. Why is this not just an original property like i know why i know that sam trying to cat like jump on the cash cow of the reboot craze and to make people want to see it because i'm sure if this was an original pitch as an original movie nobody would see it yes um but at the same time it's like how much can you stretch ip before it is no longer that ip this is jurassic world yeah yeah, this is a different story slapped on with an... Uh, it's the new Jumanji. Yeah. Yes. No, that's exactly yeah. right. Welcome to the jungle. Correct. Um, which I, I still just, haven't seen. Um, it is horrendous. And I, everyone's like, like, it's so funny. It's not. I did I did not. I was like, what the absolute fuck? I was not on board. That's fair. Um, Look, I th- I'm, I'm okay with it. You know, Nickelodeon movies and Disney movies particularly... Uh, Disney Channel movies, sorry. Have a very specific audience and there's a very specific market and you know it's the people that love debbie ryan you know this 
it's this pre YA space, which is not quite te- tweens either. Mm. Um, which this this movie is hitting squarely. Like it's Bratz and it's Kim Possible live action. Which also that trailer looks horrible. <laughs> Just putting that on there. Um, so I kind of get it, and it's got an amazing cast. Yeah. It's, well, Michael Pena and Eva Longoria in particular, I was like, why are you in this? It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. It's And Benicio Del Toro's in it. Yeah. And yeah, it's going to be bonkers. Like, it's going to be utterly <laughs> bananas. And it's going to... It's going to be a school holiday film and it's going to do well. You know, mm-hmm. um, is it going to do well enough to justify the money that they've spent on it? Probably not. But is it going to have a second life on cable television? Of course yeah, it is. Yeah, for drinking games exclusively. <laughs> no, it's going to be one of those movies that, you know, parents put on for kids just to watch. Yeah. You know, that they know is going to be safe. Yeah. Really. Um, and I don't think it's going to contribute anything to the genre or it's going to say anything specific about Dora. So, you know, it's Nims, it's Nims Island 2. <laughs> I just get frustrated <laughs> from the IP standpoint, like I said. Oh, I feel like I feel like it's a con. Yes. Like, I feel like you're there. I feel like even watching the trailer, I feel like I'm being lied to. Oh, no, definitely. Yeah. And, it's, and like people trying to like pull the wool over your eyes. And I'm like, I know what you're doing. Yeah. And I also know why you've got fucking Dora, who looks like she's 15, in hot pants. Yes. Like it's just, it's, there's so much sketchiness to it that I find really seedy and unpleasant. I completely agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it Dora the Explorer is a safe brand and people will eat it up. And I know we're not the demographic. We're definitely not the demographic. Queens, seedy old men. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the exclusive two demographics. And AO. Yeah. <laughs> he will not watch it. <laughs> uh, moving along from, <laughs> from hot pants on Dora the Explorer. Actually, it's really interesting. <coughs> I think it's really interesting to look at it in the context of the controversy around aging her up the first time in the cartoon Mm. um, to then continue to age her up um, after the backlash that they suffered first time around. I think it's an interesting progression for the brand in Mm. of itself. You know, it'll do well. Yeah. Yeah, Anyway. It's it's Inspector Gadget is what it is. Yes. (laughs) It's Inspector Gadget. Yes. Anyway. Um, From hot pants to sex cult. <laughs> Our final news item for this afternoon: um, Alison Mack has pled guilty to racketeering and conspiracy charges. Um, Smallville actor Alison Mack has pleaded guilty to blackmailing two women as part of an alleged New York sex cult, NXIVM, which prosecutors have called a racketeering operation that carried out sex trafficking and other crimes. Um, she and Keith Rainier are being charged with leading the cult mm-hmm. and um, she's been seen as the recruiter within the organization. So it's quite big for her to plead guilty when she faces a substantial uh, jail time. Yeah. What are your thoughts? It is wild to me at the moment. We are in truly the darkest timeline. <laughs> the amount of celebrities involved heavily in like criminal enterprises at the moment yes. is just baffling. Um, like between all the college fraud stuff, between R. Kelly, between this, between the Jussie Smollett stuff, it is just bleak out there. Yeah. Um, look, I'm really pleased that they're going to face justice um particularly for the survivors Mm -hmm. of the of this cult um and i'm pleased that 
the perpetrators will be ex- suffering consequences mm-hmm. for the stuff they've done. Obviously, prison time's not going to heal any wounds, but hopefully it can help the survivors to move on with their lives and to start to rebuild. Mm-hmm. It's quite interesting, I think, when you put it up against something like R. Kelly, who has had, what, 30 years, 20 years um, worth of accusations thrown up against him, particularly around minors. Um, And I I think there's an interesting discussion to be had about um, what prosecutors choose to Mm -hmm. prosecute, Um, particularly those two Racism. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Well, no, I think there's there's some really interesting discussion happening about um, the value of black women, particularly in the criminal justice system versus the value of white women within the criminal justice system. The uh, white women who seem to have crimes perpetrated against them um, are tracked down and hunted. You know, Alison Mack and Keith uh, Rainier were hiding out in Mexico Mm -hmm. and they had an extradition order. R. Kelly is still a free man in Chicago. Yeah. Um, So... Although hopefully that's going to change. There does seem to be a real swell at the moment um, to get him put away, both in terms of the pub, I think public opinion, the the jury of public opinion and actual yep. um, the justice system. Definitely. Um, so fingers crossed. And again, just like I said with the Alison Mack stuff, obviously it's never going to heal any wounds, but no. hopefully it can help his survivors to start to rebuild their lives and to be heard. Definitely. Um, definitely. And that's not to, to minimize their suffering no, at all. Of course you know? not, no. um, but there certainly is something to look at those optics wise, you know, mm-hmm. for, for this case to be pursued so doggedly because there are celebrities involved because they are white women yeah. being um, recruited into a cult versus um, poor black women in, in the suburbs of, of um, Chicago. It's not, as you said, you know, hopefully now that public opinion has kind of shifted to shine the spotlight back on R. Kelly, that that will see a similar result yeah. or at least see it go to trial. Uh, it's interesting to then talk about the college admissions scandal <laughs> where that they, they, they are facing jail time. Like, Laurie Laughlin is genuinely facing jail time. Well, especially now that they've been done for money laundering as well. Yes. Her and her husband as of, I think, two days ago. Yeah. Um, because they pled innocent. Whereas at least Felicity Huffman's pled guilty now. Yeah. Um, so she should be um, a bit of a different story. But Laurie Loch- um, Laughlin. Laughlin's yep. doubled down. And uh, it's Becky. not going <laughs> to... It's not looking good. Um, she could face some serious time. Oh, she could. She really could. And... It- but it's interesting though, she how different that process again is going mm. compared to there's been a lot of cases being reported on where um, women of colour, particularly mothers of colour, mm. um, are in prison currently serving time for, um, for fraud, I'm using air quotes there, um, for using relatives' addresses to get their children into better school zones. Yeah. You know, and then you compare it to spending however many, $500,000 or whatever it was, to commit fraud Mm. outright by pretending your daughter is on a rowing team for a child who did not want to go to college. It's mind-blowing. That does my head in. This is a kid who does not want to go to college. She made that perfectly clear. She has said it on YouTube multiple times. And... She's her parents still effectively took a spot that somebody else 
wanted. Yeah. Really. Um, by paying money. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Again, like I said, truly the darkest timeline. Um, it's. But that said, it seems that there's actually starting to be consequences yes. for these sorts of things. So in some ways, given the political climate generally, I think a lot of there's been a bullshit quota that's been hit. Oh, definitely. Finally, the privilege quota is is yeah, it's yeah. intense right now, and so it is. I think it's certainly like the fact that all these things have kind of exploded around the same time and obviously I think as well on the back of something like the Me Too movement we're at a really real boiling point Mm -hmm. in terms of human rights I think around the world generally again like Black Lives Matter and Me Too and all those sorts of movements especially but these are kind of almost peripheral effects where you're looking at I don't think people would still be Perhaps the attention wouldn't be on the R. Kelly stuff if it wasn't for the Me Too movement and Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that the sex cult stuff with Alison Mack would be the same if it wasn't for Me Too, the Me yep. Too movement. Um, I don't think that this kind of attention to this college scandal would be if it wasn't for the fact of both those movements on the one hand and looking at the fact that realistically the people who are excluded when people like those privileged children get in are usually people of colour. Yeah. Um, but also all the bullshit with Donald Trump. Like, it's just, I think we're at this real public groundswell of outrage that doesn't really seem to be tampering down anytime soon. And as long as it's being used for good, um, I think it's kind of a positive thing. Um, obviously it's not always reflected in that way. Obviously the whole stuff, you know, with Tony Kavanagh and stuff still getting in and Brett Kavanagh, Brett Kavanagh, sorry. You know, it's not, I don't think it's necessarily always reflected in the justice system, Yes, but I think it is certainly at least people aren't being allowed to forget. Uh, So for our long read for the day ahead of us watching us, we want to talk about the others why women are shut out of horror um it's a piece by soraya roberts for long reads and was released late last year around the time of the halloween um sequel coming out (laughs) Uh, horror movies give more screen time to strong female characters and attract a large female audience but few female filmmakers get to work on them Uh, The piece is really good. It explores a lot of the kind of iconic final girls of cinema um, while also talking about the ways that women have been kind of shut out of making horror movies, which is a really important conversation to have, especially given that women, by and large, are the foremost consumers of horror. Mm. And horror across mediums too, yeah. not just film, but books and podcasts. They mm. true crime, mystery and thriller are predominantly women. Yeah. Which for women not to be considered and it comes back to our discussion about Jason Blum uh talking about Please well, no, talk about it in this. That's in this right, article. I mentioned it in this article, you know, he putting his foot deep, deep down in his own <laughs> mouth. Um about how there was no female directors interested in horror. And it's, again, it comes back to that gatekeeping conversation, I think, when you've got um, big level producers not even being aware enough to to understand that conversation. Mm. Um, Of course there's not going to be 
female filmmakers if if the people with the money who are producing it mm. um, aren't prepared to even consider them or put their name to the table. Yeah. Yeah. It was such a great article, though, because it did really break down a lot of the the really big titles and, and a lot of the women who were actually working in the space as well, mm. which was really good to see. Um, again, I'm not a horror... I, 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 I'm not a horror viewer, as we have well established. But, you know, that shift from um, the kind of male hero protagonist to what is it, um, a female hero protagonist and that shift from the female uh, kind of sniveling victim protagonist mm. to the female heroine in horror was a really interesting exploration in this article as well. Um so it's interesting to see how the, the female protagonist has shifted and how um, our view as audiences and how much we're willing to accept that they suffer on screen mm. but still have the characters created by men and directed by men and ostensibly being um, shot for the male gaze. Yeah. Even though the audience is predominantly women. Like, it's yeah. such an interesting space. It's a really interesting space. I mean, especially when you consider that so much of horror has been dominated over the last hundred years, even since the genre really began um, cinematically, with sexualized violence against women. It's women, yeah. Um, and there's something to be said, which is a much broader conversation than I want to have right now, because um, I don't think that's what necessarily this article's about, but about the fact that male filmmakers like to rape women to make them interesting. Yes. Um, and that is certainly a real, has been a really, really big part of horror. Or to reflect uh, the villainry of the villain. I think mm. a lot of men, when they think about how to make a woman strong, yes. they think about... What's how, the worst thing could happen to them? Yeah. Yes. Um, and I don't think that's an incredibly creative thing. I mean, there are exceptions. I mean, the others, which is actually what this article's named after, even though it doesn't actually mention it, which is very which strange is to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, the others is a very good example of that Star Nicole Kidman. I mean, it's based on the Henry James novella, Turn of the Screw, which is one of my favorite novellas of all time, which is about a woman who's a nanny who becomes completely convinced that there are ghosts in mm. this house who are haunting the two children that she's nannying. Um, and the movie adaptation is brilliant and there's no sexualized violence at all and it really looks at this woman's just complete paranoia is at, is at the crux of the film um, and doesn't ever actually give a reason for it, which I always really respect and mm -hmm. like. She's just really paranoid. Yep. Um, and so there's a lot of interesting stories like that, but typically when you look at the way women have been written in horror for generations, they either either raped or they lose a child. Yes. Um, that's kind of the, the crux of it. And I find that interesting in terms of the ways we think about what can break a woman, I guess. Well, I think that comes down um, to that central point about what people think being a woman means. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, it all comes back to the virgin mother whore well, thing, doesn't yeah. it? Like it's all, it's all always comes back to that little yeah. trifecta. Yeah. Um, and it's why I think as well, it's really interesting to look at a movie like Jennifer's Body, for instance, is really interesting because it's now, it was pretty universally panned at the time. You know, it's got a female writer, it's got a female director. It was written by Diablo Cody, who's best mm -hmm. known for Juno and United States Atara. Um, and it was directed by Karen Kusama, who's a brilliant director who also did The Invitation, which I love and really, really highly recommend. And Jennifer's Body, I think time has been very very forgiving to it mm. um and you look back on it now and it's really there's a really good interview with diablo cody about it where there is a sexual element to the two girls in the film but it's actually not 
male. I don't. I would not call it male gazy. And as Diablo Cody said, she wrote it as the girls actually being in love. Yeah. Which I think is what it comes across, especially if you watch it now. The boys are so incidental to the narrative. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. And it really is a love story between these two women. Yeah. And um, it's and not about that teenage obsession. Yeah. 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 It is. No, you're right. It is. It's not gratu- gratuitous or no. male gazy in that regard. It is highly sexualized. Yeah. But that's the. But it's also the driving... point of conflict between them. Exactly. And it's yeah. also dr- always driving the plot forward. Yes. Like it doesn't feel superficial. It's no. not there purely for the, for the lol, it's two girls kissing. It's really, really integral to the storyline. And, and that yep. is a th- horror movie that is about neither of those girls are raped. Neither of them, well, there's only consensual sex in it. Yep. Um, and there, I think bringing female voices into horror really sh- reflects a very, very different female experience of horror. In particular, like you look at, even like you look at something like the Slumber Party Massacre from the 1960s, which is written and directed by a woman and I, I find that typical or like Dare Me by Megan Abbott the book series which is about cheerleaders and stuff and I find typically when you have a female voice behind the camera or behind the pen it's very much more about horror becomes about women's obsession with other women yeah which I find really really fascinating um and it really and like she kind of touches it on it in this article but um unfortunately you just don't get to see much more of it because because so many women are shut out of horror, yeah. you know? So it's an, it's an interesting dichotomy, I think, yeah. um, in the terms of what men think women think is horrifying and what women actually think is horrifying, if that Most, makes sense. No, I completely agree, yeah. and it's interesting because we recently viewed Scream. Yeah. And written and directed and produced by men, mm. um, and it was really interesting the conversation that came out of that because all of the threats that are made against the women or the insults that are made against the women are pretty sexualized yeah overly sexualized yeah like there was we spent an awful lot of time eye rolling at how many times the word whore was used in that yeah. film and um how, i love that movie oh and i love it, it. Is. Yeah, yeah yeah it's it and is. it actually does surprisingly treat its female characters quite well yeah but especially you, sydney yeah but the there's points where you just like oh yeah this was definitely written by a dude yeah. writing about teenage girls you mm-hmm. know um, uh, like I said, I come back to Karen Kusama a lot because I think that she's done some really, really awesome films. And I, I haven't seen Destroyer yet, but I'm really excited to see yeah. it. Um, but also Megan Abbott's written quite a lot of stuff. And she's, I mean, you'll put her more in the crime camp, but I'd put her, especially Dare Me and especially um, The Fever, I'd, I'd put really in the horror camp. Because um, I mean, the fever especially is about literally a fever that gets out of control, mm. and, it's, and it, like I said, like I said before, I think women are a lot more afraid of the things that women are going to do to them. Than... Well, I think women view fear differently as well. Yeah, you know, it come for me. It comes back to that conversation. You know, um, there was a really interesting high school meme thing that went around a while ago where a teacher had said, you know, to the boys in his class, write down a list of all the things that you're afraid of or you mm. think about when you leave the house, and it came back with like six things, and then. He asked the same thing with girls in his class and came back with 106 things, you know. Um, And I think the way – the things that women are afraid of are Mm. are actually much more subtle so that can be more nefarious. And and I feel like there's so much more to mine from that. We've had the jump scares. We've had the slashes. I think there's so much more possibility. And I think there's an underestimation as to – this is going to sound probably a bit weird and a bit brutal or insensitive. I hope it doesn't sound insensitive. But I think there's an underestimation of what women live in fear of daily. Yes. Like the threat, obviously, of rape or intimidation or losing a child, I think are pretty common fears for women yes. generally. Yeah. And 
things like I mean, Dammy's a really interesting case. I mean, they're making it into a TV series at the moment, so I'm very excited for it. But, you know, it's a cheerleading squad, and it's about a group of girls who become completely obsessed with their female cheerleading coach. Yeah. Basically, not to spoil it, but there's a murder that happens, and it's ultimately about these girls desperately trying to cover it up to protect each other, but also really trying to write each other out yeah. to protect themselves. And it's awesome, and it's so interesting, and it really looks at the complexity of female relationships. And the bits that are horrifying are genuinely horrifying, yeah. because it looks really, really sharply at how girls can get really obsessed with each other in a way that I don't think they do with men necessarily in the same way. I mean, there's a really interesting... This is a little bit off topic, but I think it kind of pays into this, where it's it's an interesting article that was released a while ago about how most men view their partners as their best friend. Yeah. Whereas women do not yeah. at all. Women have female best friends because they form incredibly emotional, emotionally intimate bonds with other women in a way that men don't with each other. Um, and I think that's kind of what you actually see in horror is how that can be twisted in interesting narrative ways very darkly. I wonder, and this is kind of simplifying that mm. concept. Does That's it a very come back? concept. No, 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 no. <laughs> but I see where you're going with it. Yeah. I wonder if it's very much genderfying, if mm. that's a word. Sure, it's a word now. Um, though, you know, th- th- those ideas that men express emotion physically, whereas women express emotion emotionally oh, I, I think you're totally psychologically. right yeah so when we t- when we look at horror as a canon yeah all of the violence is physical whereas women bring a much more psychological or emotional yeah. aspect I'd to say it. yes so by having women as on the creative end would actually mm. get and i'm not saying it's a very different type of emotional horror. yeah i'm not yeah. saying more emotional or more psychological but certainly a disparate dis- different aspect yes to a horror movie that we may not see with traditionally male yeah, writers and directors. I definitely, I definitely think that's the case. Cool. I mean, even to look at iconic horror movies which had female directors but had male protagonists, like American Psycho being mm-hmm. the really big one, or even Catherine Bigelow's Near Dark, yep. um, which have male protagonists, I think are much more cerebral horror movies than what those movies would have been in male director hands. Okay. Um... I don't think men and women think differently, but I think society has, due to the patriarchy, this is all getting a bit broad now, but, you know, like, due to the patriarchy and due to the social expectations of women, I think women are forced to think differently. Yeah. Um, so I think they definitely bring a different kind of attitude to filmmaking and to what horror is and what it means and what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And again, because I think women find things, women find different things scary to what men probably oh no, this is very very broad generalization yes. and again hashtag not all men hashtag yeah. not all women yeah. but to what men think women think is scary yes yeah um yeah and that's not to say that women don't think rape is scary because obviously yeah they do but it's also like it is it's like it's the the just the extreme prevalence of sexualized violence and horror yeah i think is indicative of the people making it the people making it yeah, yeah. definitely agree but, I mean, on that note, I mean, kind of talking about this in the context of Us, which we're going to watch for next week. Well, I'm going to watch You're going to watch. Uh, you know, it's written and directed by a man by Jordan Peele, who I think delivered a really, really compelling and interesting film in Get Out, which is exciting. Don't know what the... I've, I've been trying to keep spoiler free. 
But I think it's important to note as well, though, that Jordan Peele's production company is trying to give voices to female talent. Um, Nia Da Costa is... I mean, he's producing the remake of Candyman. They've hired Nia Da Costa to direct, mm-hmm. which is very exciting. And including his recent series, Weird City. Um, Amy Heckling, best known for Clueless, mm-hmm. um, directed half the episodes of the show, which is really exciting too. So I think it's um, exciting to see a... Uh, producer who's obviously passionate about amplifying women and especially women of color voices yep in the genre take note jason bloom yep cool cool well i think on that note it's probably a good time to wrap up uh we are watching us and by we i mean you yeah um watching (laughs) us lots of sophie talking correct Um, as always, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. We are available on iTunes and SoundCloud, and our Twitter handle is Lady Parts Podcast, no T, and our Facebook is Inside Voice AU. You can find Sophie at my name, Sophie over it, and you can find me at Insomniacs Cafe. That's See you it. next week. Bye. Bye.